Hello and welcome to Habib Muspapam, episode 258, Pius XII. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So, like many popes we've been talking about recently, we've met today's pope before. His name is Eugenio Pacelli, and he was born March 2nd, 1876, to a family of Vatican lawyers in Rome. His dad was a lawyer for the Roman Rota, and his older brother helped negotiate the Lateran Treaty that we heard about last week. The young Eugenio was smart, talented, and faithful. He was an altar boy and served Mass every day. And he discerned a vocation to the priesthood and was sent to study at the Gregorian University in Rome, where he graduated with degrees in theology and canon law. He then entered the service of the church in minor roles and helped with the process of drafting the new 1917 Code of Canon Law as the secretary to Cardinal Gaspari. And during the First World War, Cardinal Gaspari was made the Cardinal Secretary of State by Pope Benedict XV, and he continued in that role under Pope Pius XI, and Father Pacelli followed him into the Secretariat of State. In 1917, Pope Benedict XV appointed Pacelli to be the new Apostolic Nuncio to Germany, and he ordained him an Archbishop. And this was a huge position and a clear sign of trust from the Pope. Germany was at the tail end of the war. No one knew what would happen next, and it was sure to be chaotic. A communist revolution in Munich was led to his life being threatened and shaped a deep suspicion and antipathy to international socialism. He eventually moved to Berlin, where he helped through diplomacy and personal influence the process of shaping Germany's post-war and post-empire constitution. He returned to Rome in 1929 when he was named a cardinal by Pope Pius XI, and soon thereafter he was named the Cardinal Secretary of State, succeeding his former boss and mentor, Cardinal Gaspari. As Secretary of State, he was instrumental in much of Pope Pius XI's foreign policy, especially in regards to Germany. Initially, the goal of their work was to protect Catholics in countries under growing totalitarian governments by signing concordance with those countries, guaranteeing Catholics freedom of worship and practice. But as we heard last episode, it was becoming more and more apparent that those governments were not merely anti-Catholic, they were anti-human. And the Secretary of State worked constantly for the protection of the Jews in Germany and protesting German anti-Semitism, although it had to do it in a particular diplomatic way. But we heard last episode about how Pope Pius XI wrote strongly worded encyclicals to both Germans and Italians deploring totalitarian regimes. And Eugenio Pacelli, the Cardinal Secretary of State, played a large role in drafting those. He certainly wasn't secretly sympathetic to the Nazis or anything like that. At the death of Pope Pius XI, it was clear to everyone who the previous pope wanted to succeed him. Cardinal Pacelli was seen to be strongly anti-Nazi, well-versed in the diplomatic situation and the crisis Europe was facing, and a competent administrator. He was chosen on the third ballot on March 2nd, 1939, after the shortest conclave on record to that point. He was likewise the first Secretary of State to become Pope in almost 300 years. He took the name Pius XII, signifying continuity with his predecessor. Pius XII found himself in a difficult situation during the war, one that would leave him open to a lot of criticism after the fact. If he spoke out too forcefully against the Nazis, it would most likely lead to greater persecution of the church and greater suffering overall, and truly war. If you remember, at this point, war hadn't quite broken out. We see it as that, but it hadn't quite been the full world war at the time. And so he worked tirelessly with his new Secretary of State, Cardinal Mignoni, to try and defuse tensions. And he didn't speak out as forcefully or as directly as he could have. 
Now, on top of this was Pope Pius's fervent view that Soviet communism was just as bad as Nazism. And so he didn't come to a full-throat support of the Allies in the war either because the fact that the communist Soviets were allied with the Allies. When news came of the Nazi invasion of Poland, the Pope said to a colleague, we should speak fiery words against such horrible things. And the only thing holding us back from doing so is the knowledge that we would make the condition of those unfortunates if we spoke even more hard. The Pope did work tremendously behind the scenes, both diplomatically and with the resources the Vatican had to offer to protect Jews and other persecuted minorities. He hid Jewish residents of Rome at the papal territory in Castle Gandolfo and in the Vatican itself. He helped them secure passports to get out of countries affected by the Nazis. And he did a tremendous amount behind the scenes to try and work with governments to prevent the extermination of the Jews. When in March of 1942, the Grand Rabbi of Budapest told the Apostolic Nuncio to Hungary that the Jews in Slovakia were going to be deported to be sent to the gas chambers, the Secretary of State intervened diplomatically and halted the deportation. The Pope tried every diplomatic means possible to stop the Jewish extermination. In his Christmas message of 1942, which he made over the radio, he proclaimed, Humanity owes this pledge to the hundreds of thousands of persons who, without any fault on their part, for the singular fact of their nationality or race, have been sentenced to death or to a progressive extermination. Now, many saw this, however, as not enough, and that the Pope didn't explicitly condemn Nazi atrocities. All that can be said is that he did what he thought would save the most lives without making the situation worse. But he was certainly not Hitler's Pope, as some modern biographies made him out to be. After the war, an Italian diplomat to Italy wrote, I can affirm that the Pope personally, the Holy See, the Nuncios, and the whole Catholic Church saved between 150,000 and 500,000 Jews from certain death. Now, aiding him in this work were Monsignor Tardini and Monsignor Giovanni Battista Montini, the future Pope Paul VI. After his Secretary of State, Cardinal Magnone, died, the Pope didn't replace him, but he acted as his own Secretary of State at the end of the war, and he relied on the work of these two influential Monsignors to be um, important collaborators with him. Some have said that at times, Monsignor Montini basically ran the Vatican while the Pope was focusing on other things. Now, the Nazis took over Italy directly after Mussolini was ousted in 1943, and Different Italian nobles and politicians tried to make a deal with the invading allies. The Pope was urged multiple times throughout the war to leave Rome, especially once the Nazis invaded. And he had a plan in mind for if the Nazis found him, he would automatically resign. Something like that had not happened in, in years to prevent them from controlling him in some way. The Italian and later the German soldiers, though, did respect the Vatican territory, but just barely. The Pope refused to leave. And when bombs were dropped on part of the city, he rushed out of the Vatican territory to be with the people who were suffering. He pleaded with the allies and the Axis to leave Rome as an open city, meaning a place of neutrality, which would be spared the bombing campaigns which had affected other cities in Rome. And for the most part, Rome was spared the worst. In June of 1944, the city was liberated by the allies. Now, as the war was coming to an end, the Pope taught extensively about the needs for a deeper and richer philosophical and theological understanding of humanity upon which the new democratic and post-war order could be built. Part of the foundation of the current crisis was the modern failure to understand the deeper spiritual needs of humankind and the great dignity of individuals, each redeemed by Christ. He prayed for peace in his encyclical communium, interpreted as Dolorum, called for peace in the world that flowed from the Heavenly Father, writing, quote, He alone, in the midst of violent disturbances and tumults, can persuade those concerned 
that too many catastrophes and devastations have been piled up in a fearful mass, that too many tears have been shed, that too much blood has been spilled. He wrote several encyclicals calling for peace, especially as the end of fighting in the war turned towards a cold war with international communism. The Pope also published some of his most important encyclicals during the second half of the war and the beginning of the post-war period. He wrote Divino Aflante Spirito, which was an encyclical which talked about the ways scripture was inspired and legitimate uses of modern scholastic methods applied to scripture. He likewise published Mystici Corporis Christi, affirming the doctrine of, of the church's Christ's mystical body and preparing the way for the really rich vision of the church that comes with the Second Vatican Council. And he published Mediator Dei, which was an encyclical about the liturgy, which affirmed a lot of the liturgical reform movement, which had been going on over the past 50 years. In fact, the Pope himself reformed the liturgy during his pontificate extensively. He reestablished a more liturgically ancient way of celebrating Holy Week, including using the Easter Vigil actually as a vigil mass the night before instead of the morning of Holy Saturday. He uh, reformed the breviary, and he permitted the dialogue mass, which allowed the congregation to join in saying the responses at mass instead of just the server. In 1946, the Pope published the encyclical Deparare Virginis Mariae, and in that encyclical, he asked the world's bishops if they thought it was the right time to define the dogma of the assumption of Mary. The belief in Mary's bodily assumption into heaven was believed from ancient times. We have ancient, ancient traditions dealing with it. And there were several petitions that were sent to Rome over the centuries to define it officially. And after years of consultation, the Pope took the step to formally define the dogma in 1950 with a solemn proclamation of the definition that the Virgin Mary at the end of her life was assumed body and soul into heaven. 1950 also saw the publication of Humani Generis, an encyclical that aimed at correcting the faults of modern theology and philosophy, which was too wrapped up in subjectivism and deviated too much from the truth of the gospel or saw truth as something that is not really that firm, but something that could be changed based on your perspective. Many theologians who had come to prominence during the Second Vatican Council saw themselves as being targeted in this encyclical, even though there was no direct condemnation of their work made in it. But lest it be said that Pope Pius XII was a reactionary, we have to take stock in the breadth of his teaching. Many of the encyclicals of his pontificate were the direct inspiration for the Second Vatican Council Fathers, and there are many direct references to them all throughout the preparatory documents and the final documents of the Council. So this should prevent us from seeing his successor's papacy and the Council as a radical change away from Pope Pius's teaching. Far from it. The post-war period brought significant challenges diplomatically. In many of the liberated countries, especially France, there was a desire to purge society entirely of anyone who sympathized with the Axis powers. And in France, there were some bishops who went along with the Vichy government, which was kind of this Nazi puppet government there. And the Pope strenuously protested against this government interference with church affairs. Even if they went along with the Vichy government, they couldn't just remove those bishops. Likewise, the church now had to address the situation of the millions of Catholics behind the Iron Curtain. The Pope promoted many of the bishops in these countries symbolically to the rank of cardinal to show their prominence and to bring some vision into the situation behind the Iron Curtain, especially this happened in Hungary and Poland. And some of those people who were made cardinals would then suffer under house arrest later. Pope Pius XII began declining in health after his second and last consistory, creating cardinals in 1953. He died after suffering from a heart attack on October 9, 1958. He was succeeded by St. John Twenty-Third, and we will talk about him next time. Thank you for listening to Abemus Papam. You can find the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.